Good morning. Greet you in the name of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a great joy to be with you this morning. Uh, my family and I have had the privilege of being at a handful of churches for Pulpit Supply. And I'm always struck, uh, all of you were strangers, and I was strange to you when we arrived, but always struck by the unity that we share in Christ, and what a, what a precious gift that is that we have. So, Well, this morning we will be in Psalm 130, I invite you to turn there with me. It's a short psalm, just eight verses, so we'll be looking at it at its entirety. And our psalm this morning comes near the end of the portion of the psalms known as the Psalms of Ascent. And the Psalms of Ascent were used when people were traveling up to Jerusalem for the annual feasts. And our psalm this morning serves as a literal psalm of ascent. As we'll see, the psalmist, the psalm begins with the psalmist in the depths of despair, but by the end he's raised to the heights of steadfast hope. We'll hear now God's holy and inspired word. Psalm 130, a song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption. And He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, the author of our psalm, the psalmist, is crying out to the Lord from the depths. And in the Old Testament, the depths often refer to extreme danger, calamity, refer to external circumstances. Consider the words... Of Psalm 69, verses 1 and 2, it says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters, and the flood sweeps over me. It doesn't take much observation or experience to know that we live in a fallen and broken world. And that we experience the depths of external circumstances in each of our lives. In our church that we call home, we've had many with physical ailments, a number of cancer diagnosis. We've had friends lose babies to miscarriages. Our, our family has, been, has experienced much disappointment Uh, and heartbreak in the adoption process. On a worldwide scale, we see continual chaos in Ukraine. Right, so, and and among many, many others, we, we look around and we know we live in a fallen 
broken world, that we've experienced depths of external circumstances. So what about you this morning? Are you in the depths? Are you in the depths of grief and loss? Of physical ailments? Of loneliness? Financial struggles? Are you simply troubled by this world we live in? Do you feel crushed by the weight of responsibilities on your shoulders? Well, this this world that can be so troubling to us, brothers and sisters, take heart. Christ has overcome this world. And we do have hope in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is my goal this morning from our text to encourage you in the hope we have in the Lord. So from our text, I'd like to explore four reasons you can hope in the Lord. You can hope in the Lord because He hears your cries. You can hope in the Lord because He forgives your sins. You can hope in the Lord because He is trustworthy. And you can hope in the Lord because He redeems. So consider with me first, hope in the Lord because He hears your cries. But before we jump to our text, I'd like to consider the Old Testament story of Jonah. So for the kids here this morning, it's a familiar story, right? God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, right? You remember this? Tells him to go to Nineveh. But what does Jonah do? He goes in the opposite direction. And Jonah's disobedience to what God has commanded is a great picture to us. That sin is not simply doing something bad. It's not bad to get on a boat and sail somewhere. I've I've enjoyed that many times. But what makes this action sinful is that it's a deliberate offense against God. He's living contrary to what God has commanded him. It's the deliberate offense rebellion against a righteous and holy God. But not only is the story of Jonah a great picture to us of sin, it's a great picture of the Lord's mercy. For we find in Jonah chapter 2, I thought I had it marked. Hold on. We find in Jonah chapter 2 that Jonah is inside the belly of the whale and he offers this prayer. And I'll just read a couple verses. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. So we find Jonah in the depths of the sea, in the depths of a belly of a whale. Yet, the Lord heard his cry. So we see these external circumstances that Jonah faced, being cast overboard in the ocean, or in the sea, and in the belly of a whale, but we also see the depths of his personal sin, his rebellion against God. Yet, God heard his cries. The Lord delivered Jonah, to which at the end of his prayer, he exclaimed, Salvation belongs to to the Lord. And then in our text this morning, 
looking at the descriptions in verses 1 and 2, the psalmist is crying out, crying out from the depths. And it's not exactly his external circumstances that are in view here, but his personal sin. For Look again with me at verses 1 and 2. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. So the psalmist is crying out, longing to be heard, that the Lord would lend an attentive ear and grant him mercy. It's as though the psalmist is crying, Though my cries be faint by reason of distance, hear my cries. Though my cries be broken because of my distress, hear my cries. Or though my cries be unworthy on account of my sin, by your mercy, hear my cries. So we find the psalmist in deep anguish over his personal sin, his rebellion against the righteous, holy God. What about you? Do you find yourself in the depths this morning? In the depths of your own sin? Are you consumed by sin? Have you yielded to temptation? Are you longing for victory over your sin but can't seem to obtain it? Are you caught in a pattern of angry responses to your children? Have you succumbed to sexual temptation Again, are you consumed by fear? Do you continually think and speak ill of others? Are you unwilling to forgive? Has bitterness gripped your heart? Is your sin struggle simply overwhelming you, wondering if you'll ever truly be delivered? Do you feel powerless in your struggle against sin. Well, if that's you this morning, where do you turn? Where do you turn? If you're like me, often you turn to distractions. You turn to Hulu or Disney Plus or Amazon Prime or, you know, the list goes on and on. We've got many streaming services to distract ourselves Or maybe you bury your head in a good book. Or, if you're especially like me, you just keep yourself busy so you don't have to think about it or deal with it. Or maybe you turn to justifying your sin. You look around. You compare yourself to those around you. You say, well, I'm not as bad as that guy or as her. Or maybe you look inward. And maybe you feel the need to clean yourself up. Well, brothers and sisters, you're not called to clean yourself up. You can't. But you're called to call upon the one, to turn to the one who can cleanse you of your sin. So I encourage you this morning, repent, confess your sins, call upon Christ, the one who cleanses you. As we're told in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I think too often we look to take matters into our own hands. We look to clean ourselves up. 
But it is Christ who makes us clean. For he is the righteous, the spotless one who grants his mercy to us and cleanses us from unrighteousness and from the guilt of our unrighteousness. And if you're here this morning and you are in Christ, in your Christian life, if you've tasted the goodness of our Lord, if you have experienced deliverance and victory over a particular sin in the past, you know that it's worth crying out for again. You know that it's worth longing for again, for it is Christ who is victorious and who grants you victory over sin. Because, friends, the power of sin in your life, if you are in Christ, is broken. We're very aware that the presence of sin remains, but the power of sin is broken. We see that the psalmist's cry here is for mercy. He recognizes he needs only what God himself can provide. Uh, draw your attention to the parable of Luke 18 where we have the Pharisee and the tax collector each of them praying and, and the Pharisee prays Lord I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector over here but what does the tax collector pray? well he's on his face he can't even look up to heaven he's simply beating his chest crying out for mercy and says Lord be merciful to me, a sinner. And this is a commendable posture. It's a broken, a contrite heart, a recognition of mercy, and a recognition that it's only God who can provide this. So brothers and sisters, don't look in, don't look around, but look up. Look up to our risen Lord, for we have hope in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hope in the Lord because he hears your cries. We also hope in the Lord because he forgives your sins. Hope in the Lord because he forgives your sins. Look with me again at verses 3 and 4. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. The, the English word mark here, in, uh, that's translated mark from the Hebrew, is not simply to, to mark or check off, but, but to observe diligently. So to remain and retain a perpetual memory of what wrong has been done. And who of us... <laughs> if that was true, would be able to stand such a trial. It's interesting, this, this same word is used in the story of Daniel. And you remember, there are the, the other wise men who are jealous of Daniel, right? And they have this whole law created to, to set him up to be cast to the lions. But this same word is used when they're lurking, seeking to catch Daniel in the act of praying to the true God that he could be punished. And I think sometimes we have this false idea that, that this is how the Lord treats us in our sin. That He's hiding around the corner 
just waiting to say, gotcha. Right? And this is not the case. And if this, but if this were the case, who could stand? I love this question by the psalmist. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, O Lord, who could stand? Surely not, not I. But we have hope, right? The mercy of God is our refuge, for there is one who has stood in our place. Though we cannot stand, not one of us, there is one who has stood in our place, our Lord Jesus Christ. And as Psalm 103 tells us, He does not deal with us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our sins. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. And it is Christ who for our sake became sin. Or sorry, for our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And it is Christ who redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming that curse for us. So we can be confident that He forgives our sins for Christ's work was sufficient. Sufficient that our sins really have been pardoned by God at their deepest root. They have been pardoned by God at their deepest root. Not just on the surface, they've been wholly dealt with in Christ. And we find great rest, we find great assurance in the forgiveness of our Lord. But look at the second half of verse 4 with me. That you may be feared. So it doesn't end there. It's not simply we're forgiven and now we're given a clean slate, or we're given license to continue in our sin. As Paul says, shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? By no means. Rather, this forgiveness is to lead us to a heightened reverence for God. This forgiveness is to lead us to godly living. As we recognize that we've been bought with a price and we are to glorify God in our bodies. And as we experience this forgiveness in Christ, it is the love of Christ that compels us to no longer live for ourselves, but for the one who died for us. So for this forgiveness that we find in Jesus, it provides us great rest, great assurance, but may it lead us to godly living as well as we look to Him. So brothers and sisters, hope in the Lord because He forgives your sins. And also hope in the Lord because He is trustworthy. In these next verses, verses 5 and 6, there's this small word in there used three times, but we hate this word. It's the word wait. Share just a, a brief story with you. And I, I grew up in Maine, and some friends and I in high school, we got out of school early for some reason, and we headed to the coast to do some hiking. And we thought we were so cool. We'd recently gotten our license, and you know this this was great fun. So we drive to the coast, we hike this two-mile trail. My friend planned out, had all the details. He knew that at the end of this trail, you just had to go up this road just a little ways, and there was a bus stop. And it was brilliant, because we'd hike these two trails, we'd get to the bus stop, it'd take us right back to our car. 
Well, we get there. We're 15 minutes early for when the bus is supposed to come. So we're just hanging out, goofing off. But then the time comes for the bus to come. doesn't come. So you think it's running late, no big deal. 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes go by. I'm not sure this bus is coming. Well, sure enough, there's a schedule posted on the little bus stop station there. And I start to read it closely. And it says that the bus schedule resumes in June. We were there in May. So we were waiting for a bus that would never come. So, of course, we gave our friend a very hard time as we had waited very long for a bus that would not come and now had to hike back two miles to our car. And I share this story just as we've all experienced waiting, right? We've all experienced waiting, and it doesn't always turn out the way we want it to, even if we have waited and endured whatever it is that we've faced. And often, we can then look to take matters into our own hands. We grow impatient of the waiting. Verse waiting on the Lord. But let me read verses 5 and 6 for us again. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Now in our fast-paced society, waiting often has a negative connotation. For in our fast-paced society, efficiency matters most. And it's difficult, right? We're constantly looking to avoid waiting. I mean, look at our grocery stores. In recent years, we've added the self-checkout. How dare we have to wait on somebody else to scan our groceries? And I don't know anybody that goes to the grocery store and looks for the longest line. And if you've been in a building that you have the option of stairs or an elevator, you might wait a little bit for the elevator, but too slow, I'll take the stairs. Or if you're like me and re- seeking to get, a desti- get to a destination, you'll take the way that avoids traffic lights even though it's ultimately slower. But it feels faster because you're not sitting and waiting. And also, we've got big Chick-fil-A fans in our family, and the drive through is always forever long. And as you're sitting there waiting, you watch the person who ordered through the app, and they just walk right in and get it. And you just kind of shake your fist at them and, you know... You're there waiting. It has this negative connotation. We constantly look to avoid waiting. We don't like it. We avoid it. But even within the examples I've given, there's a level of hope, right? We hope and hold the expectation that eventually I'll leave the grocery store with groceries, regardless of how long I've waited. Or that regardless of traffic or how many traffic lights, I'll reach my destination. And regardless of how many people are in front of me, I will get that beloved Chick-fil-A chicken. Well, we possess a far greater hope. 
as we wait on the Lord, as we hope in the Lord and His Word, this is not a negative connotation at all. Rather, it's an eager expectation, an expectant longing, a joyful expectation, a confidence and assurance that our God is who He says He is, that He will do what He says He will do, as He is a performer of His Word. So I encourage you in this frantic, fast-paced world that hates waiting and is constantly chasing the next high of instant gratification to slow down, to pause, reflect, remember, and cry out to the Lord. Read, study His Word, wait upon Him and His promises. He is faithful. He is trustworthy but consider with me the illustration of the watchman as we have that repeated twice more than watchman for the morning more than watchman for the morning for watchman this is a hope that will not fail the morning will come the night may seem when, when, when you're in the depths though when, when you're in this waiting the night may seem endless but morning is certain and it's time determined. So more sure than the rising sun, the Lord is true to His Word, to His promises, His nature. He cannot lie. It was interesting as I was studying this, some commentators link this phrase, watchman for the morning, uh, to Christ's resurrection being at the time of the morning watch. And only some commentators brought that out, not everybody, so I don't know that there's universal agreement there. But regardless, I, I, I think it brings to our mind this clinging to God's covenant promises. Right? That, that our waiting is this eager expectation. That we serve a risen Lord who is coming back. <laughs> that we serve this risen Lord who will one day redeem all things. So His Word does not fail. He is who He says He is and does what He says He will do. Brothers and sisters, hope in the Lord because He is trustworthy. And lastly, hope in the Lord because He redeems. Look at verses 7 and 8. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption. And He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. So I find it interesting here that throughout, there's been singular language here up until this point. It's the psalmist crying out, it's I, me, my. But here, the psalmist who started in the depths of despair of his own sin and is now raised to the heights of steadfast hope. He's calling those around him to fear the Lord. He's calling those around him to also hope in the Lord. So as, he has, as his hope in the Lord has increased, he's calling others and seeking to persuade others to do the same. So brothers and sisters, as, as you rest in the Lord as... You're in a season of great hope. May you encourage fellow brothers and sisters 
Seek to persuade them to hope in the Lord with you. And note the description that his love is steadfast. It is constant, unchanging, never failing. And that his redemption is plentiful. Where our sins are many, his mercy is more. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And the psalmist, having experienced this rich forgiveness, is inviting others to partake and enjoy God's forgiveness as well. And verse 8 tells us that He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. The day is coming when our risen Lord will return and redeem all things. And we long for that day. But as we long for that day, as we wait, being strengthened by the Lord with all patience and endurance by His glorious might, may we rest in the hope that we have in Him. And I'd like to conclude just looking at a description of the nature of our God from this text. So look at verse 4. It says, But with you, speaking of the Lord, there is forgiveness. Verse 7, For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption. So with the Lord, there is forgiveness. With the Lord, there is plentiful redemption. And with the Lord, there is steadfast love. It's interesting, in the, in the Hebrew, there is no is. There is no to-be verb listed here, provided here. It's given in the English to help us make sense of this. But I think English can be a bit confusing, right? For when something is, there's also the possibility that, that it is not. And this is not the case with our God. This describes His very nature. This is unchanging. This is our God. And I think, as I mentioned before, we can feel this, we can forget this. We feel this need to clean ourselves up in order to then come before Him. But brothers and sisters, remember the nature and character of our God. There is not the possibility of the is not. This is who He is. And with Him, forgiveness. With Him, steadfast love. With Him, plentiful redemption. So do you believe He is who He says He is? Do you hope in His Word? Do you believe He is able to deliver you from your struggle against sin? Do you believe His forgiveness is sufficient? And do you believe, like the psalmist, He can raise you from the depths of despair to the heights of steadfast hope? Brothers and sisters, hope in the Lord because He hears your cries, because He forgives your sins, because He is trustworthy, and because He redeems. Let's pray. Lord, as we 
live in this fallen and broken world and are troubled by all that is around us, by our own personal sin. Lord, stir our souls to wait on you. Stir us to a greater recognition of you as our help and our shield, that our hearts would be glad in you as we trust in your holy name. And Lord, let your steadfast love be upon us as we hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen.